footy and frothy is like a mouthful of uh, mosquito coil right as we go to air. It's very good. <laughs> uh, Ollie, Barney and uh, Daggy with you to look back on round nine of the NRL. Plenty going on in the rugby league world. How was the weekend, <coughs> Barn? Yeah, got back down from Newcastle. We had a pretty ripper night there on Saturday, I thought. <laughs> the boys were all around and we, <laughs> we got into it. So it was a very, very entertaining night. Back at work for the last couple of days, which is, um, yeah, so love and life. Yeah, nothing like being back at work. To really get your boat <laughs> floated. Looking uh, forward to some. Looking forward to this weekend coming. Should be fantastic. Oh, there's something on this weekend, is it? Yeah, there is. You might be heading up Brisbane way for a few days. How oh, good! I think you meant to be coming. Oh, shit! I better check with the missus. Um, Ollie, how are you? Yeah, pretty good. Um, last week I couldn't make the show because I was stuck in the multiverse, and um, it was if I had to come up with a word to describe it. Quite mad, but also. A little bit stupendous. So, um, yeah, that was good. And a great weekend with you blokes on Saturday night as well. It's good to see Barney, especially coming out um, coming out and hanging out on the weekend because he doesn't always anymore. So it's always a special occasion. I love it when the Barnabas is there. I think I gave him a hug or two. No, it's beautiful. And your very quick uh, review of Doctor Strange? When I first went and watched, see, if you've got a scale of 1 to 10, ladies and gentlemen, I was expecting an 8.5 to 9. We got a 7.5 to an 8, I would say. So it was sort of when I first came out, it's like, oh, well, it wasn't as good as I anticipated. But sort of as I processed it, I thought I sort of appreciated it for what it was. And from everyone I know that has seen it, who has gone and seen it twice, they've actually really enjoyed it the second time they went and watched it. So all I'd say is you're going to really enjoy it. If you're going with no expectations at all, it's a really good movie. Definitely worth, worth the trip, trip to the uh, to the big screen. Very good. Uh, and stick around for a spoiler full review uh, after the Titans game. Speaking of um, ratings out of 10, you've just signed yourselves a new 5.8 up the Gold Coast with Kieran Foran going there allegedly on 7.50 here for two years. Um, your initial thoughts on that, Oliver? Uh, not the biggest fan, to be honest. I know how he sort of revitalised himself a bit at Manly, but I look at the team he's also got around him. I know he can still do a job if he has to, based off of what he's done at the Bulldogs, but when he has to control a side and be one of the the biggest um, effort players, I guess you could say, in his side, he's really prone to injury. I just don't think the Titans have enough cover at the moment for him next year where he can consistently perform as he has been at Manly. Uh, it also leaves some question marks to me over... Toby Sexton, who I don't have any doubt will be his halves partner next year. The doubt I have is the faith that Justin Holbrook has put in Toby Sexton as a game controller, as a leader in the side, especially when Jamal Fogarty was let go in the preseason. I'm thinking if you get 10 rounds into the year and you've already signed a new half for next year to partner Toby Sexton, what was really the point of letting Fogarty go in the preseason? And I know he's since gotten injured and hasn't played a game this year, but if he'd stayed at the Titans, who knows? But that's just what I think of it. Uh-huh. I don't mind it. Um, if he, as long as he can keep his form up with what what's, uh, that he's been doing with Manly. But the issue, I think, the, the biggest issue is the, the Titans forward pack. If they aim up and give him time and space to be able to do what he's doing currently at Manly, he'll be... Um, He'd be a decent enough signing. But, yeah, as, as you mentioned, back end of his career, a bloke who has had a lot of injuries over the last few years. So 
obviously it's gonna it's gonna take probably four four to six weeks of next year before we really know what's going on uh, and how he fits into that side. Yeah, I don't mind it either. I, I, I'm nowhere near as negative as Ollie. I think I think you can argue the price tag, <laughs> but mm-hmm. you know, end of the day, there's, there's no place playmakers around. Right at the moment, uh, playmakers can command the premium. Absolutely. But um, from the point of view of if you're putting looking for an experienced half to actually you know instill some confidence in the young half, I don't think it's a bad one. Uh, it gives you a running five eight who's playing good footy. Um, as you said, the, the, it doesn't band aid over the Titans issues, but if they get things right, it definitely complements them. Yeah, because they've got a bit of pace out wide, and if you can get you know get in and amongst it and go direct at the line and play some of those short balls and long balls he's played in the last couple of weeks, it should help the Titans side. Yeah. No, I think he's playing good footy. So uh, we'll wait and see on that. Uh, and I think, yeah, I know he's can be considered injury prone, but he's what got through the last 18 months in largely one piece. Yeah. So yeah. we'll see how he goes. Uh, immediate news, Cody Nicarima is going to South from this week, uh, which the knock-on is that Volkman and Lussick will leave the Roosters and go straight to the Warriors. Uh, perhaps bad timing for Freddie Lussick and the Roosters, given uh, the loss of Verrills, but... Happy to let him go. Uh, thoughts on any of that, Barn? Um, Volkman, we haven't really seen a lot of. He did look like he's a decent game-controlling half, but obviously it's going to depend on how much time he ends up getting at the Warriors. I, he should obviously be a, a someone that's going to swap for Johnson because from his performances on the weekend, he looks like he's pretty much done and not interested in playing anymore, to be honest. But... Um, and Freddie Lussick, yeah, that's that is an interesting one, considering that Verrills has now gone what for the rest of the season, so well close enough to it. So they probably could have done with a bit of depth around the hooker. I wouldn't be surprised if they moved someone. Uh, what have you Con- got? Rad- possibly Radley or Connor Watson. Someone? I think is back oh, this yeah, week. Once, so. Oh, is he back this week? Yeah, okay. he's been named. Yeah. Well, that's, so um, that's a little bit there. of depth for cover that, for cover there for them, but. Um, Nick Arima to South probably South probably need it to be honest. Um, well, isn't he just uh, he's just the Anthony Milford? Isn't he just going to be what Milford would have been in their heads? Yeah, uh, well, I think they're hoping that he's what Benji was last year to be well, honest. But um, it's all the same thing. <laughs> whether he's going to come out and do that or not, I'm not sure. Something needs to happen there to free up Cody Walker because he's running around like a headless. It's um yeah, Elias has, in my opinion, Elias has outshone him in the last two to three weeks. Something that needs to change in that the the halves dynamic there at South. Ollie, yeah, I don't mind the signing of Nicarima, and that's the first thing I thought as well. Barn, it isn't this just Anthony Milford, or at least the plan with Anthony Milford at the start of the year. I can see him settling into maybe a nice little 14 role there for South Sydney. What it does bring for them and what I do like about it is it's something different. They're a team that's struggling at the moment and sort of their issues in the halves have been highlighted, I'd say, quite a fair bit. So at least making the effort to try and shake things up a bit. I'm not saying it's going to work or it won't, but just to bring in that third guy, a guy with NRL experience as well, playing in the halves, I don't think can necessarily make them play any worse. Um, I think it's just another option and see how it goes there with Nicarima, with Volkman and Lusik. I have heard um, like over the preseason and that just mentions of Volkman here and there that he's been a, um, a bit of a wonder kid, I guess you could say, coming through the gym. He played in one of the trials and looked quite good. Yeah. About 25 though, isn't he? 24? 
I think he's a little bit older than a kid, but... Yeah, boy, he's sort of in the lower grades, then I'd say he's been getting a little bit of a rap because it seems the Warriors are prone to signing young halves with potential over the past couple of years. I'm not sure if you guys have noticed that, but it's just they've not really... Sean O'Sullivan's probably the prime example who was all right for the little patch he played there last year. So I, I just feel like if an unproven young future superstar potentially is the Warriors the best fit for this player. Maybe if Sean Johnson's there to mentor him, sure. And with Freddie Larsic, he's good. He's good cover at hooker. He was good cover last year for the Roosters when he had to play at hooker as well. So I don't think it necessarily hurts the Warriors either. It's not, it's not anything that's going to be too game changing, but I can't see it really hurting either side, bringing these players in. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, Robert Jennings going to the Dolphins to add to their mammoth roster, as is JJ Collins, Ryan Jackson, and Jack uh, Bost- uh, Bostock. He had a ladder to uh, youngsters. Uh, and your man Dan Avaro will be going to Toulouse immediately. So quite a fall from grace from the prop of the year there, Ollie. Oh, well, he, he could be prop of the year in Super League yet. Yeah, don't you worry. They are currently... <laughs> They are currently dead last and very much favourites to get relegated, and he signed a two-year deal, so he'll be playing in the second division next year. But it doesn't matter because he'll be property here in that. The three I'll years after the fact. I'll laugh at all your faces. It's, it's the wrong year, it's the wrong league, and it's with the wrong team, but he's still going to do it next year. Good, good. Well, good, you showed us. Injury news, there's quite a bit of it. Jack Johns broke his arm. Sam Verrill's fractured collarbone. Uh, very unfortunate for him. What's that been three years in a row? He's... Basically, Big chunk of the season, yeah. missed out. Uh, Croker went off with a shoulder injury, but saying not as bad as they thought, so about three weeks there. Remus Smith, 10 to 12 weeks for his peck. And the two big ones, Cam Murray's now looking about a month out with a neck complaint. And Ryan Pappenhausen, four to six weeks with a MCL hamstring, which for those two, well, probably the main one we'll touch on here is Cam Murray. Uh, and may even loop in a tiny bit of super. We may as well loop in a tiny bit of super coach chat because it's, it seems to be the topic of the day. Um, actually, now we'll save that. We'll keep it consistent. But uh, very, very big out for South. The more I thought about it today, the more I thought I, I, I don't think I can actually tip South for the next four weeks without him. They, they are that. Strong. They are that bad. I, I think they've got an okay <laughs> draw, but I, he's been their only hope in uh, many of those games. Yeah, he's taken a big percentage of their um of their defense as well as a pretty um decent amount of their attack. Realistically, they've um because their halves have struggled so much, they've actually been looking for him to be um short ball playing, putting people through holes, and then um, looking for that offload as well. So, a lot of their attacks revolved around him, and he just tackles his ass off every game. So, Cook's going to need to find somebody else that's going to make fifty tackles with him as well. <laughs> so, might be a case yeah, of I haven't looked this week. Maybe the, uh, maybe Havili's got to play a ball playing lock. He probably, I dare say, he'll play. Um, He's been play okay. back row, and then yeah. Arrow will probably move into that lock position. I would imagine. Yeah. But Oliver, anything, Dad? No, nothing other than Thanks, the Rabbitohs are uh, in the A. <laughs> <laughs> right, and uh, uh, Pappenhausen and Remus Smith—they're two pretty big outs there. Um, there's going to be a big reshuffle in that back line. I'd imagine Meany goes back to fullback yep. and then you've got to find yourself a centre and, and a winger on that right-hand side. Um, obviously, the system's just... Melbourne just keep producing, so they probably 
they're probably not going to lose too many games because of it. But I wouldn't be surprised if they drop one or two just with a little bit of um, inconsistency on that right-hand side now. But And both probably outs for New South Wales as well. Um, Murray, obviously, would have been one of the oh, first Murray, blokes definitely. picked. Yeah. And Pappenhausen maybe opens the door for Nico to play 14 for New South you would Wales. Imagine that, yeah, you would imagine Pappenhausen would have been in that 14 role. Um, so, yeah, uh, your next best bet probably is Hines at the moment. He's in career best form playing at seven, which he's never done before. So This may be a bit bold of me, but I personally would have gone Nico over Pappenhausen for that 14 role anyway, purely because of the versatility. Just because he can control the team if he has to. Yeah, Yeah. it was someone on Triple M. I forget who exactly brought it up, but they said they wouldn't have Pappenhausen. You either play Pappenhausen at one or not at all because if he's coming off the bench at 14, where do you play him? Because Tedesco's not coming off realistically unless he gets injured. Whereas Nico... You know, and I see me just watching the the Panthers game today. They'll pick him anyway, but on form, I don't think you can pick Luai. At six, and no, I would make an argument you could pick Tedesco at six and then have you could have had Pappy at one if that's where you want to go, or Tommy at one. Yeah, you could, but um, again, like Pappenhausen, I have no doubt Pappenhausen probably would have been picked at 14 regardless. And I, I still, and I fully expect Luai to be picked at six because there's no one oh, else, 100%. but yeah, yeah. But I, I just think, yeah, in, in terms of actually what a, a 14 is supposed to bring to your side, you're pretty much bringing Pappenhausen in. And look, if he was playing 14, he'd get minutes. They'd fit him in somewhere. Yeah, he plays that dummy half. He'll play lock yeah. and dummy. you just throw him they, around. And... Yeah, they, they would, yeah, they'd bring off a lot and put him on or something like that because he would have to play. But in terms of a better fit, I'd definitely go with Nico because he can come on for a 13 and play as a bit of a third half. If you need him to, like Jack Whiten's been doing for the past couple of years, who is nowhere near retaining that 14 jersey. So I think Nico's got it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Jack Whiten, we shan't be seeing, I don't think, in blue this year. Uh, anything else, no other news you want to talk about, boys? A couple of sharks. Again. They're going to have to find a couple of players to oh, replace a few of the sharks of players that got suspended. Yeah. So um, was that uh, four, four weeks and two weeks, I believe? Yeah, two weeks for Kennedy, three yeah. weeks for Ramian with the early plea, four if he challenges and misses. But I don't think they'll be challenging that one. That was pretty clear cut shoulder to the face and probably deserved the send off more than the Kennedy tackle. But mm. oh, I'm pretty, I said it at the time, and I'm pretty, I haven't changed my mind that um, if they had 13 players in the field, he gets sent. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I'm we'd... surprised they didn't send him in there anyway, to be honest. Yep. It, was, uh, it was a pretty bad one. It was straight to the middle of the face. And it looked more like a shoulder charge than most tackles that I've seen this year. So, 100%. I, I thought he um, should have gone as well. But, you know, what, what are we going to add about the bunker's consistency anymore? <laughs> Gump's not here, so yeah, we'll just, uh, we'll we might on. just miss it this way. <laughs> we'll move on. We can chime back in next week. All right, let's talk some footy then. Uh, just so I can put it at the front of a preview, though. Ollie, do you want to show everyone what you're wearing just there? The One More Club shirt. You can see that available from rugbylegmerch.com. You can see Barney's fine uh, beanie. Just had a there. And the <laughs> truckers worn cap. trucker's cap on top there. You can also get plenty of other styles of caps. All available from rugbylegmerch.com. Footy and frothies. Plenty of other stuff going on on that side as well. So check them out. A bit of proceeds from all go to the men in league. 32-12. Brisbane gave it to the Rabbitohs. Barney, what the stats say, and then what do you make of the game? 
Here we had two tries for Souths, five for Brisbane, two out of two conversions and five out of five for Brisbane. Uh, one out of one penalty attempts for Brisbane. 72% completion played 70%. So that ended up being 32 sets out of 44 for Souths and 24 out of 34 for Brisbane. Five line breaks to three, 16 tackle busts to 22, 18 offloads to eight, two forced dropouts to one, zero 40-20s, 28, uh, sorry, 282 tackles played 297, one ruck infringement by Brisbane, one inside the 10 against Brisbane. Six penalties conceded by Souths, eight by Brisbane, 11 errors to 17. Cook made 43 tackles, Carrigan with 37, Milne with 156 running metres and Cobbo with 193. Walker missed four tackles, made 12. Walters missed three and made 19. Reynolds had 100 supercoach points. Milne with 93. Carrigan with 92. Our first 10 minutes was pretty much just a slug up and down the middle of the field. Neither team was doing too much expansive. Um, but after about that 10-minute period of the, the old softening up period, that's not as much as it used to be. Broncos looked like they started to get the upper hand in the forwards. Uh, started rolling through the middle. A lot of that was on the back of Carrigan. I thought Carrigan was amazing in the first half of this game. And then um, any second stint wasn't far off what he did in the first half. Um, the Broncos looked pretty threatening, ball in hand for the majority of the game, I thought. Um, most of the time when they went wide, they had South on the back foot and they were sort of backpedaling in the outside edges and um, they got cut open a couple of times. But a big part of their success is that rushing defence again. They employed the same tactics that they played against the Sharks with the week before, having their centres and their wingers uh, rush in and jam the, the halves and the and the centres. And Souths didn't really seem to have any answer for it. Um, why people don't... As soon as Stags... <laughs> if I was coaching a team, as soon as I saw Stags running out of the line, I'd be telling my halves to kick it in behind him every single time because they'd be very close to a... To a um, a dropout every time it happened or a possibility for a try. But uh, the last couple of weeks, they have been rushing uh, very quickly off their line out in the outside edges. I, I thought um, Brisbane were actually really impressive that they were able to keep up that line speed for the, for the 80 minutes. And that's two weeks in a row now. I don't know. They just seem a much fitter team over the last couple of weeks. I don't know if they needed six weeks to get into the competition and get themselves up to that level, but they seem a lot fitter than what they were at the start of the season. And that intensity, it, it, it confuses teams, especially with halves that don't have a clear, precise idea of what they're doing, which is the definition of Souths at the moment. Um, and they, you know, they get it gets into the head of the um, of the halves that are playing for Souths. On the other hand, I didn't think Souths looked um, effective at all in attack. They didn't look like they threatened Brisbane's line for the majority of the game. Uh, when they did, it was through the middle of the field when they had a couple of quick runs and some quick play the balls for Cook to get on the back of. And their line speed was pretty non-existent at times, especially when Brisbane went wide. They Rather than come up and get in their face, they backpedaled and let it them seems take like South every week and have just... 10 minutes where they have the greatest line speed in the comp or very generous referees, and then the rest of it, it just doesn't exist. <laughs> No, absolutely, and this this was a case of it, and Reynolds just sort of carved them apart. Once they got on that back foot, he was running direct, and he was actually taking the ball a long way into the line, and the fact that they were backpedalling just gave just seemed to give Brisbane so much space and time to set up their attacks on the outside edges. Um, Walker was just, he was just bad. Again, I don't know how many times I've said it this year, but it would be a majority of the games. He gets confused. He seems to get in his own head. He gets aggressive and then starts picking fights with people. 
Um, and he's he's just not effective at the moment. He's there's not enough time and space for him to do you know, to play his running game. So then he starts trying to throw big long cutout balls, and he, that's not his go either. He's he's much more effective running into the line and playing short than he is trying to throw rainbow balls out to his outside men. But um, yeah, and he didn't get that involved again. I thought Ilias was better than him. He has been the last couple of weeks, and he seems to be the only one that's actually directing the attack in any sort of decent way. Uh, Cook, Cook again, seemed very uninvolved apart from a couple of times with the ball. Defence, he makes a million tackles. He always has. Uh, Graham and Milne on that edge, they seem like the only decent backs for the South team. Avili looked like he did okay when he did come on. He seemed to add a little bit more um, direct running play for for Souths, but and that young Trent Peoples, mm. he um, he actually ripped in and had a good good hard crack there coming off the bench. He probably looked close to their best forward apart from Murray. Surprise, surprise, best player that Souths had week in and week out. And now he's injured for a month. So I thought Flegler and Rabadi were pretty good. Um, Oates was okay. Cobo was really good with the ball in hand in this game. Um, he's just a very destructive ball runner, runner big body, fast. Um, and when he gets half a gap, he was really involved in this game. He seemed to want to be in and around the ball. So, And as I mentioned before, Kerrigan and Reynolds were the best two players for the Broncos. I would have... Uh, it's funny because huh? I ended up tipping them. I didn't tip on the show, but did tip them in our, in our comp in the PCTC. But um, I would have declared Brisbane morals if they were full strength. Uh in hindsight, I probably should have stuck Pretty solid nice. as well, yeah. uh, Haas and Capel. But um, you've summed up their intensity really well, and then you add to that the fact they've got they've now got strike all all across the back line because Herbie's uh, Herbie looks dangerous every time he touches the ball now, uh, even out of his own half. You met you know Stags and Cobbo, and even Oates. Um, Oates has a clear job, and it's Reynolds is going to kick to him three or four times a game, and if he catches one of them, he's sweet. So. Um, points, yeah. And I think even Martin, I know he had a couple of sort of simple drops and that, but he he, he looks like he's working back into being a proper first-grade fullback as well. Um, mm-hmm. So when you throw Haas and Cable back in, I was bullish from the start. I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up back in the six, to be honest, when Tessie New Well, back. that's probably the way it's heading. Uh, but, and, and he looks great. like a better option. He's a good and, ball player. Definitely, and, and, and good if he does. So... Uh, you, th- you throw Haas and Capel back into this performance and showing signs if you're a Brisbane fan, Ollie. Yeah, well, I just want to touch on Barney's point of Cody Walker. It was the thing I was saying towards the end of last year, week after week. You know, this is a guy who was the Daily M 5-8 of the year, but I was predicting the drop-off this year. It might have even been one of my bold predictions and it's definitely not going to win me the, the plaque at the end of the year, but it's one I'm confident I'm going to get right, the fall of Cody Walker because... Adam Reynolds being there and able to be that guy who can keep his composure and when a Cody Walker or Latrell get frustrated and get thrown off the game a bit, he's that cover for them. That cover's no longer there. I mean, Paul Lachlan Ilias, you bring it up, Barney, you say the past few weeks he's been the better half out of the two. I'd say overall for the year, he's probably been better than Walker. He's looked a lot better, at least with the, the service he's providing to the players. So, I just don't know what goes on there. With that being said, the Warriors seem like a team that next week Cody Walker could easily bully and have a really good game against. But Do you know who he, Cody Walker is? Cam Murray, what, Cody Walker's what, what tears doing? from being in the UK. He's just Corey Norman now. Well, he's. I, I wouldn't say he's, he's on the way by the end of the year. Yeah, yeah that's who yeah. we 
which is an unfortunate thing for someone who sort of clawed his way to playing in the NRL, but that's what he is. Like without Adam Reynolds, I'm sorry, he's not much better than a lot of the other halves in the competition. A lot of it is, and we definitely noticed it on the show, whenever Cody Walker was having a blinder, Adam Reynolds was in the background doing the stuff that doesn't get on the highlight reels, um, isn't talked about every week, but it definitely helped him out. Also, like, I'm not going to, I don't talk after fact because, but like he's in inflated super coach stats last last year. A lot of that is, um, what do you have, 30 try? let's say 30 tries, so somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. 15 of them were throwing a ball to Latrell 10 metres out or throwing a ball to Alex Johnson with an overlap created by someone else. So, you know, I'm not, yeah, I sound like a dickhead talking after the fact, but they are he needs inflated. To get back to going, he needs to go a lot more direct. Um, he's yeah. going way too too much sideways looking for his outside man. He just needs to take the line on a few times himself and then um, get someone running straight off his hip because um, that's probably his best play is that short ball when he's hitting the line in defence. But Sorry, Ollie, we cut you off there. Yeah, there's just two Brisbane players other than who you guys have sort of brought up that I wanted to mention. Uh, Corey Jensen, for one, I'd say at least pull, pulled his weight um, in Dude. the job he was tasked to do. He's done it, he's done it a few times this year. Yeah, and, and that definitely helped Carrigan. Um, Carrigan was a standout, but having a, a prop partner that was pulling his weight definitely helped. And Salman Cobbo just seems to get better week after week. Uh, if not next year, eventually he's going to be the fullback for the Broncos, you'd have to think. And um, the only thing Barn didn't mention is Reynolds had the game plan down pat from the start that, hey, these blokes are pumpkins. And if I get them right, he went straight after Walker and straight after Arrow and and got them rolled up straight away. And just, you know, there it was. He knew what would happen. To the corner, repeat sets, got them tired. Yeah, he played this game near perfection for a controlling halfback. Giving him three, two to Carrigan or which way? Absolutely, yep. Three to three to Adam Reynolds, two to Carrigan, and then I had one for either Cobbo or Murray. Take your pick. Yeah, I'll give it to Selwyn. Yeah, uh, honorary mention for Herbie because he had some real nice touches and runs. Uh, he just seems to be bumping off more players than I've ever seen before. Mm. At the moment, Herbie. He's, yeah. Um, very yeah, very good in contact. So. Hundred uh, percent. I was at a wedding for this next two, but I've seen some highlights since, if that's what you call them. Raiders fourteen, Dogs four. <laughs> Uh, was next on the card, Barney? Yeah, it wasn't a lot of highlights in this one. Um, two tries to one, one out of two conversions, played zero out of one for the Dogs. Two out of two penalty attempts for the Raiders. 80% completion for the Raiders, 69% for the Dogs. 33 out of 41 sets, played 23 out of 33. 590-plus running metres and 250-plus post-contact metres for the Raiders. Two, two line breaks to three, 29 tackle busts to 36. 13 offloads to seven. Two forced dropouts by the Raiders, 0 40 20s, 283 tackles by the Raiders, 412 to the Dogs. One ruck infringement to three, zero inside the tens. Five penalties conceded to seven, eight errors to 14 for the Bulldogs. Hudson Young made 31 tackles. Jeremy Marshall King made 45. Kotrick with 225 running meters. Dufty with 161. Schneider missed six tackles, made 22. Whitehead missed five and made 23. Tabita Penguai Jr. missed four and made 40, and Dufty missed three and made eight. Um, first half an hour was tough, uh, straight through the middle. Neither team seemed to try to get too expansive, but there was a there was a lot of garbage and errors and mistakes. 
penalties given away in that first 20 to 30 minutes, but it was a it was a feeling out period. I thought the dogs actually looked like they were be the better team for the majority of that 30 minutes. Then um, just again, can't they just couldn't convert points at all. Um, I don't know how I've, we've mentioned a few times some of the things they should try, but they just don't seem to try them too often. They just go through their sets and play play after play and try to play high completion. And when they don't get up around the 80% completion, they don't score a lot of points. Um, the Raiders got on the front foot after that sort of 30 minute mark. And then they really never seemed to be um in trouble, really. Uh, the, they, the, they, got, they were much stronger in the middle for the dogs for the majority of the game after that 20 to 30 minutes. There's some, some handling errors and a lot of these, a lot of tries over the weekend, I noticed, were basically one-on-one misses in defence. Um, a lot of tries and obviously you can't be doing that and it's just, if a one-on-one miss ends up being six points or 12 points in a game, that's a lot of points to chase because one person just didn't do their job properly. Um, the uh, as I said, there was a lot of poor defence and um, errors, and took away from the the game. There was a big momentum swing when the dogs were denied that try. Um, I think it was a fair call. Uh, Burton did definitely go running through the hole that yeah. Corey Waddell plotted his way up to, and then um, Josh Adakar ran away to be denied for that try. But in the very next set, I think it was only about 45 seconds later, the Raiders score their first try. And then they go on again 10, 15 minutes later and score another one. And that was pretty much the end of the game. Um, dog cars were okay, but they're outside backs. So I think they made eight or nine mistakes again. It's a recurring thing with the Bulldogs. They seem to get it wide, get themselves in a half a, half a gap, and they drop the ball. Um, <clears throat> I know maybe they should train with some... Soapy footballs or something. <laughs> I really don't know, but they seem to make consistently make errors out in the back line there. Jeremy Marshall King was pretty good. Jackson and Thompson were okay. I, I thought King probably deserved a few more minutes because uh, he looked like one of their better forwards when he was on the field. Tavita Pangai Jr. was the best field, was their best forward easily. Um, the backs for the Raiders were average as well. It was pretty poor game for backline movements. So it was very much a game through the middle. Uh, Elliot and Papali were strong, like very strong. Elliot, I don't know, since he's been playing 20 minutes at hooker and then getting more game time in the back row, he's definitely improved and probably deserves more minutes. Frawley was the difference in this game. The bloke hasn't played, well, he's played two or three games for almost 12 months, but he um, he laid on a try. He put one on his own with a little bit of footwork. They were sort of one-on-one misses, as I mentioned before, but he would put himself in the right position and took his opportunity when it came, so... Other than that, there wasn't a lot of highlights in this one for me. If Frawley leads them to win next week, surely they have to seriously look at White and back to centres and wake up themselves. I'm pretty sure a few people on this show might have been saying that. Why? I know, I know. We all have. (laughs) Well, wasn't there that period last year too where... He was good. Where Frawley and... came in and did a job. Yeah, and Sam Williams were playing in the half together and they were all right. One of them was the best player each week. Yeah. Yeah, it, it... And you know what, Matt Frawley uh, never been a consistent NRL player, but I don't specifically remember him ever being horrible. I mean, I know he's off contract this year. I don't think it'll happen, but couldn't be the worst player for the Dolphins to pick up based off of the pool of talent that they've got to pick from. To, like being honest, be one of the no, better no, players. So mm-hmm. uh, for me, I'd probably Nick Kotrick's first game since he was last at Canberra. 
for me at least. And I think Canberra's forward pack, at least in this game specifically, played the way we were all expecting him to play throughout 2021 to go on and win a competition. But um, I guess it is, it's turned a bit of a positive into a negative, but concerns that they're putting in this performance we've been expecting against one of, if not the worst team in the competition. But it was good to see them, to see that they are able to turn up against a team like the Bulldogs. And you're right, Barney, it was really played through the middle and the Raiders dominated the middle and that was the difference maker. I'd say overall, the Bulldogs were probably a bit better on the edges. So that's what Canberra realised. Canberra decided to play it through the middle, keep the game in the middle as much as they could and it worked to their advantage. Anything else you guys want to add or let's move on to a good game? I had Frawley with three points. I had, oh, sorry, I didn't do Supercoach points either. Burton had 71. Tavita Pangai with 67. And Jackson with 62. Uh, all Bulldogs players, there you go. And Papa Lee with 59. But I had Frawley with the three points. I thought he was the difference in the game. He took two opportunities and that's pretty much the scoreline at the end of it. Burton, I gave two points. I thought he was... Um, his effort was huge and he did actually have some sort of an impact, even though a few of the blokes let him down on his outside. And then I either had to be the Penguin Jr. or Papa Lee for the one point. Ollie? Well, Ollie, Ollie you didn't go, see this one, did you? So. I'd probably go Papa Lee. Papa Lee. Yeah, okay. Okay. Main event Friday night. The streak at Blue Bet Stadium came to an end 22 20. Parramatta defeated Penrith. Controversial call or two, but largely um, some good stuff from Parramatta, I guess, but Yeah, I probably thought they could have won by another try or two, to be honest. Um, they did seem the, to have their attacking flow a little bit better than Panthers at times in this game, but we had four tries apiece, two out of four conversions for Penrith, three out of four for the Eels, and a missed two-point field goal at the end of the match there. Uh, 81% completion played 85%, three out of 37 sets. 30 out of 37 sets, played 36 out of 42. Five line breaks to three, 29 tackle busts to 33. Eight offloads to 17. Two force dropouts by Parramatta, 0-40-20s. 403 tackles made by Penrith, 350 made by Parramatta. One ruck infringement to two, one inside the 10 against both teams. Six penalties conceded by Penrith and two by Parramatta. Eight errors apiece. Appy played majority of this game for a change in over the last couple of weeks and made 58 tackles. Mahoney with 49. Toto with a fantastic return with 266 running metres and Paulo with 207. Kikau missed five tackles, made 24. Pernasini and Moses both missed five tackles and made 17. May with 97, 96 super coach points. Gutherson with 96. Papali'i with 93. Ollie, your thoughts? I thought that for the majority of the game, Penrith were the side that was bringing a little bit more for me, at least watching live. But Parramatta, the best thing Parramatta did was hold on. They were able to sort of weather the storm. When Penrith were on, they were able to sort of withstand the onslaught, which just about any other team in the competition can't do. Usually when Penrith is sort of hitting that peak, 20 minutes of either half, uh, that's where they run away with the game. Parramatta didn't let that happen. They actually did a really good job of containing Penrith. They held on for just long enough and were able to break through at the end. So I think based off of that, overall, Parramatta were the better team because they were able to withstand Penrith's onslaught, really. Um, Regan Campbell-Gillard, for one, I just wanted to mention, I thought had a really good game against his old club. Being close to, I wouldn't say exactly close to Parramatta's best player all year, 
Um, in terms of the kicking battle between the two halves, Mitchell Moses kicked the shit out of Nathan Cleary. Uh, I'm not saying Nathan Cleary was horrible by any stretch, but from what we um, expect from either player, Mitchell Moses... 754 kick metres. Yeah, wow. He, he was the different the difference maker for me, I'd say, in this game based off of his kicking, especially in such a close game as well. Jerome Lawai, probably his worst performance of the season. I don't know how much they showed on TV, Barney, but Jerome Lawai was mouthing off to Reed Marnie a lot. I know they had that scuffle early, but he continued. And I don't know if that sort of – that played into his head a bit too much. I don't know. This is probably the first week where I've looked at Luai's pestering, I guess you could say, of players and thought that it might have distracted him a little bit too much from the game at hand because I don't think he was great. Brian Toto had a really good return from injury. However, he only ran for 266 metres, which is probably – about 100 metres less than we can usually expect from him each and every week. Dylan Edwards was Dylan Edwards. I still think consistently is the one player behind Ryan Pappenhausen in terms of the form fullbacks in the comp. Um, but, yeah, the big player for me in this one was Mitchell Moses and his kicking game. I think that was really the difference for Parramatta and what got them home in the end. And the fact that they were just able to hold on. About 40 minutes there, was I'd say that was probably crucial, the fact that I was just able to hold on and just keep at it while Penrith were coming at them, and then they were able to break away in the end. Looked like Gutho's best game of the year, Barn. Yeah, he did get a, he did get a lot more involved. Um, he's still sort of a step off that passing game that it, when he's at his best, he, he just seems to put guys away a whole a whole lot. But um, his running game was really good in this one. The again the the, the defensive line speed for both teams was amazing. Um, I think you may have mentioned before that a few teams may get a little bit of assistance with that defensive line speed, and I think parts of this game that was the case. But both teams were up and in up and in defence for. Sorry, dogs just gone mental with the yeah, coach. Kick out. Uh, Parramatta fan. <laughs> but both teams are flying off the line for the majority of the game, but Parramatta just seemed to be able to keep it up for that little bit longer than um, Penrith were. Uh, and I really thought that they were actually stronger in the forwards. Leota did have a good return, um, but limited minutes on his return. James Fisher-Harris was there and thereabouts, but he wasn't as good as I thought he'd be in this one. Um, I thought the Parramatta front row definitely had the, um, the more impact in this game. And that guy out there on that right edge, Papa Lee, is just firming into being the... I want to say he's the best back row in the comp at the moment. And because if he's not, he's very, very fucking close. He is, um, he's destructive every time he's got the ball in his hands. He doesn't seem to miss tackles, even against centers when they're trying to put foot, footwork on him. Um, he was fantastic in this game. I thought he was actually the, the difference in this game with Reed, uh, Reed Mahoney through the middle. Um, because Parramatta didn't seem to have a lot of impact out wide, but when they did go through the middle and then just hit an edge, they seemed to have, um, they seemed to have. Penrith struggling and uh, they they sort of had to do a lot of scramble just to just to stop Parramatta when they were playing direct and through the middle. Um, there was a flat spot there for Penrith for about 15 minutes when Madison basically just walked over off a nice little short ball there and then scored that try. And then the one that everyone stood around and watched and it just bounced straight into Dylan Brown hands and he scored next to the post. And for me, that was a noticeable drop-off for Penrith for 10 to 15 minutes, and you don't generally see that in uh, games that Penrith play. And that pretty much cost them the game, I thought. Um, 
they did pick up for that last 10 minutes and they were they were coming home and they were trying everything they possibly could but they just you know that 15 minutes killed them there or just you know it was about 60 minutes into the game so uh Penrith I thought we were a fraction off don't like I'll probably have a million Parramatta fans coming at me saying oh you're not giving Parramatta enough credit and all the rest of it and Parramatta were very good uh but this is a game where I thought they probably could have stretched the margin out to eight or 10 points rather than just scraping home with two points. And um, to me, that was a bit on the back of uh, the back line, just not clicking in the way that it could have um, probably has something to do with Penrith's defense and the outside edges. They've, they are generally fairly strong out there with Yo and Martin in the defensive line on outside their halves. But um, yeah, I really thought Parramatta probably should have skipped away for one or two more. Tries, uh, both wingers for Penrith are huge. Taylor May and Brian Toto. Taylor May seems like he's just decided he's going to play the same game as Brian Toto. <laughs> he's just every every set of six he wants to hit up from dummy half. And then again, like a couple of tackles later, he sets himself up in the middle of the field to run like a forward as well. They don't always use him, but he's always there. Like He's, he's always keen for work. And um, yeah, Brian Toto just did what he did. I love the way he bounces off players. And gets in and around the team. Cleary, Kikau, and Spencer Linu were pretty good for Penrith. Um, Kikau just had a couple of missed tackles and an error there. At, uh, an error that should have been an error that wasn't, <laughs> may we say. But how that wasn't called a clear knock-on, I have no idea. But um, that's another one Penrith and Parramatta supporters can fight to the death about. Um, and then, was it... They were the, the big mentions out of the Penrith team. Oh, sorry, apart from Yo and Appy, they were the best two players for Penrith. Again, Isaiah Yo does it week in, week out, and so does Appy when he's given more than 20 or 30 minutes on the field. Uh, Paulo Brown, RCG, were the big con- uh, the big contributors out of the Parramatta's forward pack. Gutho and Moses were very good. Um, but uh, I thought, as I mentioned before, I thought Mahoney and Papa Lee were the best two players for Parramatta on the field. Do you have a comment on the penalty try? I thought it was pretty fair, to be honest. I thought that if um, Salmon didn't have his arm around his shoulders, he would have scored that try quite easily. Because um, yeah. realistically, it, it stopped him for that first one or two steps. And where do you, you know, when you accelerate, it's that first step or two, unless you blow a calf like me and when I'm playing cricket. That's where you get your speed up and going. And he only missed by, what, half the length of the football. So... <laughs> Well, he's disgusted. Um, <laughs> the only issue I had with it is that Howe wasn't too long. He's won a try the week before. No, yeah, we had this discussion at the pub like, and that it absolutely should have been. I don't understand like, how too long he's wasn't a try the week before. Well, the, the point I was going to bring up is let's just say that exact situation happened three more times on the weekend. And this is the only problem I have. It, it's just knowing. It'll probably only be given once. Exactly. Yeah. And the rest of the time, the um, the Jamin in the situation would be Sinbin for a professional foul. Yeah. And I would bet that if it was to happen in... If it was to happen, say, to the Titans playing the Roosters, I couldn't imagine giving it to the Titans. But that's what I'll say. As a as a penalty try. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's probably better for Penrith to give away the penalty try, to be honest, rather than have a bloke sit out mm. for 10 minutes. But I thought it was fair enough. It was a penalty try. Yep. I think he scores without a hand on him. So. Who you got for your dag games? I had Papa Lee with three, Mahoney with two, and then I gave it to either Dylan Brown or Appy Coruscant with the one point. 
I um I don't know if we were watching different games there, <laughs> Ollie, but I didn't think Moses was anywhere near as good as you did. Well, the thing that I sort of obviously his kicking game was fantastic. Now, thought kicker having really... involvement, you know, apart from the obvious, had an involvement in um most of the Penrith points. He did, yeah, mention, absolutely, yeah. he did. Yeah. I guess as well, obviously, uh, watching from the ground is a bit of a different perspective as well because you you miss certain things and you pick up on different things, but. Yeah, with Moses, it was definitely the kicking game. It's just the the positions he was able to put Parramatta in. So I'm I'm happy for him to just be an honourable mention. Personally, I'd like to see him get the one, but I'm easy. Uh, if well, I think Papali has to get the three, and then you two can decide. Two. Two. Who do we say for one? I had Brown or Coruscant, but... Uh, Brown? I'm okay with Brown. Yeah. Round for one. All right, we get to Seagulls 36, Tigers 22. To kick off Saturday afternoon, I vowed I wasn't going to talk about this game. So, but <laughs> we Gump, get Vince on. But Gump's not here to, um, to to fill in for me, so I'll see how how well I take it. Take it going through this review. So but we'll, um, we'll start with you, mate. I'll get the stats yeah, out of the stats. way, and you can have a crack. So oh, we had seven tries to four. <laughs> I don't even want to. Four out of seven conversions played three out of four for the Tigers. Eighty-four percent completion played 81. 37 out of forty-four sets played thirty-five out of forty-three. Nine line breaks to Manly seven to the Tigers. Forty-six tackle bust to thirty-four. Fourteen offloads to twelve. Three four drop out by the Tigers. 275 tackles played 300, three ruck infringements to Manly, one to the Tigers, four inside the 10 played three, three penalties conceded to Manly, nine to the Tigers, 10 errors for both teams, a sin bin for the Tigers, Crocker with 36 tackles, often Gowie with 39, Tommy with 230 metres, I think they might have given him 50 or 60 to be honest, mm. <laughs> Stafford Toa with 173, four and five missed tackles out of and made 20, Brooks missed eight and made 15. Tama missed seven, made 24. And Tuolangi missed seven and made 23. Garrick with 113 supercoach points. DCE with 105. Ben Trebojevic with 96. And Offa Hingawi with 94. This is the most ang- This is the angriest I've been after a game this year because... And you can both tell me to open my other eye. That's fine. But <laughs> in my humble, I think Tigers should have won this game. I think Tigers... Uh, at least for the back half, were a better team. The refereeing was was there. Uh, we had three tries disallowed. We had uh, Tigers had three tries disallowed. They had fourteen points scored off the sin bin for a bloke that was on the field for one tackle, um, and that was the difference in the game. Uh, still try, you know. I know the rules are rules, but I've just, I've, I've come back to the camp of um, just get rid of the bunker. They're not getting it right anyway. I'd rather I watch and more to the point. I watched the KO mini of the Raiders Dogs game, and fifteen to eighteen minutes was tries being disallowed. Like at what point is yeah, I get the straight you know, outside shoulder inside shoulder is the rule, but there was no like regardless defenders weren't getting across to cover that one. I know it's the rule. Um, I still think Peaches was a try, and um, Seagulls. I think they're special. They they did enough, and they've got enough good players where they're going to do enough. Um, but it was it was disappointing, and maybe I've watched the whole game wrong and should uh, should have just stuck to the bar. Uh, I you know Tommy came back and was Tommy. He was he was what you expect. Caller keeps growing into a player, 
And uh, you've got to give kudos to Ben Jovovich, but, you know, he fell over the line twice, so I'm not going <laughs> to go into yeah, cartwheels over the I'm next coming of a turbo. But um, for the Tigers, Safarth, great again. Love him. And uh, I thought Gartner's work in the centres is actually um, defensively is mostly pretty good for a bloke that's been stuck out there. I know he gets shown a fraction up. quicker, he'd be a fantastic center. Yeah, but uh, he, he reads the game okay. It was Gildart's mm-hmm. best game. Uh, and we lost, you know, we lost Mamolo uh, after a minute, and Michaelia. I think he played six or five minutes or something. Uh, Peachy's best game for the Tigers, so like I, I, I can't be upset about it. It's just disappointing. If it was me, uh, if I was on the Tigers board, I'd be saying to Matt, "Here's ten grand. Go and blow up the referees," because once a year, uh, Sticky does it, and once a year, Robbo does Robo it does in a Robbo it. way, and the board pay for it. And funnily enough, for the next month, they seem to get a lot of decisions in their favour. Uh, I think Peyton had a crack last week, so like it's it it, it feels to me far school, but you know I am a hard hard beaten, long suffering, long suffering one. But you know they all start adding up when you throw in the last few weeks. Uh, have I seen all of that wrong, Oliver? No, you haven't, because Daggy, I was a bit worried when you were saying you were going to go on a bit of a rant here. I was worried you, you were going to shit can the Tigers because I actually thought they played quite well in this game. Just on officiating in general, I think the biggest bugbear I have is now the fact that the bunker can now overrule a referee when they give a try. Because you notice whenever the referee goes to the bunker these days, <coughs> I'm sorry, they're always going up with a no try. I'm, I'm disgusted by this. They're always going up with a no try. So in the past when they would have gone up and they think it's a try, they just award it because they know the bunker is going to check it anyway. And these days it seems unless a player gets the ball from the dummy half and runs over the top of the defense and scores, it's going to get checked. But that's they all get checked, but the ones that actually get stopped the, for a my, my issue is that they and what's the rule? Is the rule benefit of the doubt to the attacking team or defensive team? Because there's no benefit that they, they the only reason to go to the bunker is to look for reasons to overturn. Tries. That's what I was about to say. But they go the there only, to overturn the things, especially the when there's been. To take I could, away tries, I could yeah. name a dozen tries that probably should have been awarded that they never checked this year. Why aren't they checking all the ones that they don't award? It's it. It just it, it's frustrating me, and and um, we you know we've tried well, to. I'll give you the peachy one. I thought peachy had more than enough control for that to be considered a try. I don't know how the ball, like it changed. Angle by a couple of you know degrees, and they say that he's lost the yep. ball. That that was a try. And, and look, I week. understand in the letter law, the outside shoulder one that wasn't a try, but there was mm. no that had no. no, no but they've he, done he then that. Beat but, but and they've done. That's they probably been the most game. consistent that they've been with yeah. any other call in the game. To be honest, the, the question that, I have that is that um, outside shoulder. Why why, why would you risk running decoys anymore? Yeah, I have no idea. They just don't work. You tell them to pull up after three steps. Yeah, didn't you? Or the minute they go into sure the line, you step off the right and run three players back inside. Because yeah, yeah just to come make back sure to you're left. well and truly the minute, out of the, you, way. the minute yeah. you, you're not outside the line, you can't score anyway. Yeah. Just cut back and make sure you hit two blokes inside rather than the bloke that's in front of you. Yeah. Or stop as soon as you go past the ball. Just stop. But yeah, yeah. Um, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Obviously, there's you have to do it. You need to to um, throw in some diversion and some different shapes to make the defensive line make bad decisions. But yeah, when they score 15 meters away from the bloke on the inside shoulder, that was never going to get there in the first place. It, um, it does ask a lot of questions. Uh, 
I thought there was the first half an hour of this game was pretty hard to watch. I thought it was yeah, just penalties, was penalties back and forth, drop ball, um, stupid decisions, and all the rest of that kind of stuff that you see from teams that aren't playing at their best. I thought the Tigers were probably the better team for large parts of this game. Um, but if you go back and have a look at, even if you just go back and have a look at the highlights, out of the first five tries that Manly scored, four of them were one-on-one misses for yeah, the Tigers. They were blokes just getting run past or run over the top of. And when you're letting in four tries from just poor defensive misses, you've got a long way to chase back if you're chasing 20 points from blokes who just aren't, as I mentioned earlier, just aren't doing their job. Um, and there was one of them that was a two-on-one, and it, they both missed the bloke. Like, I think that was the first one with the turbo try, but uh, Burbo, whatever the fuck you want to call him, there's too many of them. But um, Manly definitely got the rub of the green. But as I mentioned, there was, yeah, four of Manly's first tries were straight out one-on-one misses. Uh, Tigers fought really, really hard, and you'd have to be impressed with the way that they just, you know, they could have just packed up and got beaten by 50 in this game, but they didn't. They kept fighting. They got very close at different times in the game, only to be, you know, to have tries taken off them or they're just a, a downright error, just stopped everything that they were doing. I thought Stafford Toa probably had his best game as a Tiger. Mm. He probably had his best game of, of his career, to be honest, or close enough to it. And Hastings was, again, their biggest attacking threat for the Tigers. Peachy actually added something this week. Um, he was buzzing around in the middle of the field and uh, caused a, caused quite a few problems there for the, the manly defence. You already mentioned Safarth. I thought Simpkins was pretty good. Um, you mentioned Gildart. But Twal was, was very decent again. He just keeps doing his job. I thought to, top of the uh, Tui Palutu was was okay from the Manly team. Tom was Tom, as you mentioned. Garrick just looked like he was going to score every time he got the ball. Um, I know he was getting the ball in good positions, but I think that little stint at fullback might have um, helped his confidence a little bit. And he um, he's going really well at the moment for that Manly side. He's very good at beating the first man when he gets the ball. Yeah. He is, and he's, he's quick and he's big and he's pretty hard to handle. Um, I thought most of the starting forwards for the Manly side pr- did their job pretty well. Um, as you mentioned, Ben fell over a couple of times, scored a few tries. But um, DCE and Croker were the leaders of their attack and they were realistically the reason that they got home at the end of the day. Um, DCE broke the line a couple of times, set up a couple of tries, scored one himself. So, Ollie, he thoughts? Uh, yeah, well, you bring up DCE. I thought overall he was probably the best player on ground, um, sort of similar to his performances that he put in last year that he'd sort of get overshadowed for a bit when Tommy was on his game. Um, because he's had his best game in the NRL so far, there's something that I've wanted to be bringing up about Oliver Gildart because I have kept a, a special close eye on him and I think I found something that's a bit of a something that's bred into him from Super League. And these were sort of the things I was looking at of a Super League player coming over to the NRL it just seems defensively, I've been surprised defensively, he's actually been really good for a center. Like he, he does, he's usually pretty solid there. Um, it's just the issues with his ball handling a bit. And the thing I've noticed, a lot of the errors are actually coming from I would, what we would call dumb errors. They're just sort of risky plays that don't often pay off. And I haven't been watching a whole lot of Super League this year, but when I actually get to watching a game, I'm going to keep a close eye on this because a lot of his errors I find are actually he's trying to force a pass that's not on or he's trying to take control of a ball that's very hard to take control of. That's something. And a lot of time it's early in a tackle count. 
Yeah, once or you, twice it's just been him carrying the ball in the wrong arm as well and getting hit from the inside and getting it knocked out. But it just it just really seems to me like in attack that they're those little things, and I think those are the differences, and those are things that can be fixed. And to be honest, the past couple of weeks he's been in first grade. I would say he's probably getting better with it. And this week, I don't think it was that apparent at all. And that's why, and I think definitely based off of his defense, he was a lot better, but that's just something I sort of look at. And I think maybe that's one of the big differences that you don't necessarily see straight away between the NRL and Super League. It's just going, and I get that Super League's a more attacking-based, fast-paced game. So you're probably going to get away with more forced passes and more going for those risky ball control plays and stuff like that. But that's just something I noticed I wanted to bring up. Um, a player as well, Martin DePau, coming off the bench, I thought was really solid as well for Manly. And more with Ben Trevojevic, like you got to give him his props for his two tries, but realistically, he... um. He wasn't horrible, but no. he, he, he's not getting – I don't think he's – well, he's not getting three points this week, I don't think. No. He put himself in position to be there, obviously, when he was needed, um, yep. which is what you want out of your back rowers. Uh, the fact that he had to go and play back row, he sort of played half centre, half back row, realistically. But, mm. um, yeah, he's – um. I had him down as maybe the one point. I had DCE with three, Garrick with two, and then I, I would probably put Offa and Gowie in front of um, – Trebojevic for the one point, but they were the two I was tossing up for the one point. I'd agree with I that. Offhand off Gowie was fantastic. I was um, going to say, I think he's he's been great this year. Even He's been really especially good. Especially the year. last couple of weeks. He's yeah. really warmed up the last just, couple um, of weeks and he's doing a lot of work. Just uh, And that's why I'll give him one, just because um, I think he does deserve it from last month as well. But agree with you, can't, I can't give you DCE points at all. Uh, Roosters, 44, Titans, 16. Uh, your turn to have the floor, Oliver, as Barney reads us the stats. We had eight tries to three, six out of eight conversions, played two out of three. A missed penalty conversion, a penalty attempt for the Titans, 73% completion for the Roosters, 79% for the Titans. 28 out of 38 sets, played 31 out of 39. 400-plus running metres for the Roosters, Nine line breaks to three, 37 tackle bust to 27, nine offloads to four. One force dropout to four for the Titans, zero 40-20s, 294 tackles played 274. One ruck infringement from both teams, two inside the 10 against the Roosters, eight penalties conceded to nine, nine errors to 11, a sin bin for the Roosters. Butcher with 43 tackles, Fermor with 27 which is interesting. Teddy with 226 metres. Herbert with 117. Jared Wahira Graves missed five tackles, made 22. Radley missed five and made 28. Sexton missed five and made 14. And Smith and Herbert both missed five tackles and made 16. Teddy with 126 supercoach points. Kiri with 105. And then three other Roosters players before you get down to Bo Firma with 67. Just for those playing at home, Kevin Proctor had 26 run metres this week. Yes, fantastic. To go with his common, four last week, Ollie. Common thread with the Titans in the last few weeks. Mm. I see this as a huge success uh, for the Roosters. Uh, <laughs> yep, the other teams are relevant. They don't matter. They they put in an irrelevant def- performance this week. I'm trying to block the jersey in the background with my head because right now I don't even want to don't even want to look at it. Because hopefully this is the game where the Roosters were played back into form and our preseason predictions of them winning the comp can come true because it does seem as well when some of the better teams are out of form, 
they actually it, it's when they flog a really really bad team and this is a really really bad team that they flog. <laughs> uh, but they actually do start to pick up some momentum and go on a bit of a run sometimes they just do need to flog an absolute shitter so their players can get back into form the biggest of which James Tedesco put on one of his best performances after a relatively poor year so far. Luke Keery, I don't think he's still quite up to what he was, but definitely a much improved performance in terms of his service as well. Um, Sam Walker, for some reason, just loves to have a blinder against the other team that will not be named. Um, so I hate him and love him at the same time, but I more love him this time because the team he was up against sucks. Um, there was barely a bad performance from the Roosters. The Ford pack, I would say, were dominant. The backs had a lot of X-Factor. My man, Joseph Manu, putting in another great performance as well. I loved watching the Roosters in this game. A great performance. I hope they played back into form and they can go kick on with it so we look smart. Um, and that's all I have to say about this game because the other teams are relevant. Still baffling to me how Takiyahu can't get a first-grade spot in Australia. Yeah, no idea. Uh, and did, we still don't know what happened to Satili. Just didn't play. No, Maybe he must have been injured. He or something. got eighteen minutes or whatever it was. He must yeah. have been injured or something. Anyway, well, just, just on Takaho, I know one team that could use him, but they're not worth a mention right now. <laughs> yeah, he'd be all right. Uh, but he could get a start in the seventeen for pretty much any team in the conference. Of course he moment. could, but he's going. I think he's going France or somewhere. Uh, Hull FC, your boys. Oh yeah, aren't yeah. They? Teddy's a good player. Did you know that? Yeah, he goes all right. He's all right. I sold him about three weeks ago. Yeah. He's got three hundreds in a row. Go. Angus Crichton's yeah, a good second row. Did we know that? He's he goes all right too. Um, <laughs> so and Joseph Mann, who's not a bad centre, they all decided they're going to play, and were better than a team that yeah. shall not be named. Oliver, <laughs> the like... team that shall not be named. Well, they scored in the first couple of minutes, and mm. I thought, oh, this might be a competitive match here, and yeah. I was incorrect. <laughs> it was it was quite clear. The the Roosters were told this week, which what we've been saying for probably a month now, they need to play direct. They need to run into the line before they start passing the fucking ball and stop going sideways. And they did. Kiri did it time and time again, which gave Tedesco a shitload of time and space up against the centers for the Titans. And if you're going to attack anywhere against the Titans, it's the centers. It's just a recipe for success. Just run your best quickest, strongest players at the centres in the fucking, in the Titans' defensive line and see how they go. It's generally not that good. Um, yeah, as, as I mentioned, it was just, it was a clear and utter plan of Kiri was stepping back in, running direct at the line and then giving Tedesco heaps of time and space. He was linking up with Manu and that right-hand side was just an absolute nightmare for the Titans. They got torn apart time after time when they went down there. Mo and Tino were a little bit underwhelming considering what they've been putting out for most of the season, but they were still two of the best players for the t- well, the team that shall not be named. Clark and Furmore, they were the two best players that were out there for them, but they were still nowhere near as good as the majority of the Roosters team. They were the best two out of a very, very bad bunch of players. Uh, I thought most of the thir- starting 13 were fairly good for the, for the Roosters. There was a couple of performances that, Sort of were a bit underwhelming for me. Uh, Walker went missing, but they didn't play to him. Were Hargraves and Radley were probably, was probably their worst two performances out of the entire year. And then Collins does what he does with fucking hitting people in the face with the shoulder. So um, Butcher and Crichton were really good. 
Um, Butchers seems to be growing into a pretty good back rower. Uh, if he could add a little bit of um, attacking ball playing to his game, he'd be right up there. But he does plenty of work. Crichton, yeah, he just monstered his op- his opposite number. Kiri and Manu were causing problems all over the field, or mainly down that right side for the Titans. And then um, Teddy was just everywhere. He just popped up whenever they needed him and scored uh, scored a hat-trick. Probably could have scored five or six. With yep. Teddy with three, Kiri with two, and then Manu or Crichton for the one. Yeah, we'll give it to Angus just because I haven't given him a point this year. Yeah, I, I just want to say um, for Tino and Bo Firma in particular, look, I'm a fair person and I understand what's fair. So if they want to go out on loan to, I don't know, a good <laughs> team for the rest of the season, I'm well and truly for that. Cause yeah, we'll take them. They're doing, the they're, they're doing a lot more work than they should be right now, and there are a couple of good players that deserve better. 36-16, the Cowboys beat the Knights. Six tries to three, six out of six conversions, played two out of three, 75% completion, played 76%. 31 out of 41 sets, played 30 out of... 39 for Newcastle. Six line breaks to three. 34 tackle bust for the Cowboys. 17 for Newcastle. Six offloads to 11. Two forced dropouts to one. 0 40 20s. 293 tackles played. 332 for Newcastle. Four ruck infringements against the Cowboys. One inside the 10 against both teams. Six penalties conceded to seven. 10 errors played 14. Robson made 51 tackles. Randall with 42. Tamalolo with 179 running metres. Clemmer with 181. Hiku missed three tackles, made 12. Crossland missed four and made 19. And Randall actually missed the most with five, but he made 42, so you probably would give him a little bit of a break for that one. Chad was the top super coach scorer with 90 points, Felt with 82, and Randall with 78. Knights went into halftime with the lead. I still had no fucking idea how they were ever going to win this game. <laughs> Even leading at halftime, I did not give them any hope of winning this game. A couple of tries that they did have did seem to get were just scrappy drop sort of ball got dropped out the back and someone jumped on the back of it. The first try was decent, but the first two tries actually came off Ponga playing at um, either halfback or six. He was playing directly in the middle of the field. He was playing as a number six or a number seven, threw the ball out to Dominic Young. And the second one was a little kick that he put in for um, Jacob Saifidi that sort of clipped the side of the post and he dived on it. Um, I think they just have to bite the bullet. They've got no six or seven. Um, you may as well just put someone who can run fast back at fullback and move Ponga up into the front line at this point because at the moment they just have no attacking threat whatsoever. And he was their only attacking threat in this game, I thought. Um, he didn't seem to get too involved in the second half, just stayed out at fullback. I think he knew what was coming, to be honest, and didn't want to get himself beaten up. Um, the Knights absolutely clocked off in the second half. Some of the cows tries in the second half, they ran through gaps where there was one defender in the space of about 10 fucking metres. Like there was nobody near touching these guys that were just strolling over for points. And yeah, it looked like a team that had given up to me in that second half. Tex Hoy actually looked okay at different times. He set up a nice little try back on the inside there for their for the night's last try just before half time. But yeah, they they need some ball players and they need them badly. I don't know if they just try and get their second rowers to do a bit of ball playing or something, but there's some issues there trying to get balls to set up people to score some tries. Uh, Fitzgibbon and the Siafides were decent. Randall and Clemmer were Newcastle's best two players. I think Clemmer's been his, their best player since he returned from injury. 
He still puts in every game. He's not as impactful as he used to be, but he still puts in a fucking really good effort every time he's out there. I thought Leo Thompson looked pretty good when he was on the field, but only seemed to get 30 minutes for some reason. I have no idea why he only played 30 minutes, but I think he probably should have played closer to an hour. Well, the Cowboys wingers were good. Um, Tuolagi looked really threatening every time he touched the ball. He had six tackle busts and a couple of line breaks. And the halves got him around the field. Chad was back to his um, some of his better form, with his, especially with his kicking game, just getting it into corners, making him work hard for it, putting it up high enough for the... Um, the supporting players to get through and have a chance at the ball. And their forwards did a decent job. I thought Robson and Cotter were very good for um, for the Cowboys as well. Uh, Cotter seems to be one of those effort players, similar sort of mould to... Um, who's the Warriors fellow that's injured at the moment? The Wolverine, that you call him. Karen. Um, Karen. Um, he's very similar mould to Karen. Probably not quite as um, impactful, but he, he seems to be growing into that type of mould of player. And Robson, when he's good, he's very good. And when he's not, he's, he's pretty average. But he's been pretty good at for, out of hooker for him for the majority of this year. So, As a supporter of the team that will not be named, thank the good Lord Jesus Christ that the Newcastle Knights exist. That's what I'm going to say about that team. On to a good team now, the North Queensland Cowboys. So this week, it's finally hit me that I need to put out a, not an apology, but a, Yes. And I was, <laughs> I'll come with you. <laughs> Cowboys fans, because I think I did about two weeks ago, but I'll back it up and come again. But I mean, at this point, after nine rounds, sitting in third spot, one of the best defensive records in the competition, as Gump has brought up, they're not going to finish last, are they? they <laughs> no. can't, they're can't probably going to finish in the top eight at worst. Probably. <laughs> well, I, I'd say at the very worst, they miss out on the top eight at four and it. On four and again, yeah, by a and, point, maybe, and I'd have to at, not win a game for the rest. Of the at year. this point in time, you know, at this point in time, I put them above South Sydney, Manly. Yep, yep. those teams, even Brisbane, who are on their way up. I still Manly's got more of an upside, up but I think the Cowboys have probably got more of an upside than yeah. Souths. Um, well, probably more than Brisbane at the moment too. So, and, I, uh, and I'm not saying there's not a drop off coming at some point in the season, based off of what we've seen in the past with certain teams like this. There is a bit of a drop off at some point in the year. But I think they ain't finishing last. They're going all right. They ain't finishing last. So I got to give that to the Cowboys. I just wanted the key player for me, and I think I probably brought him up most in the preseason, at least with the Cowboys, was Reese Robson. This is probably the closest to the performances I was expecting from him back then. I was actually tipping him, I think, to be their best player consistently throughout the year. Um, Tal Milo has obviously come back to his best, but I think for Reese Robson, the biggest thing I've loved about him is his defense, a great defensive effort. I'm not sure if he pipped 50 this week. Um, I know he was up he towards 50 tackles this week, um, but it, I, yes, see him, I, I see him similar uh, to a Jaden Blake Braley role, a, a Braley brothers role where um, they're probably, and they're good in attack, but they're be, the best thing that they bring to a side at hooker is their defense. Um, a, a traditional, I guess you could say Cam McInnes when he was at the Dragons as well. So it was really good to see Reese Robson get back to that. But I agree with Barney at halftime. I had no doubt in my mind that the Cowboys were going to win this game. And yeah, that, that was the big thing for me coming out of this. It finally clicked where an acknowledgement of the preseason predictions probably needed to be made for me. You know, we got good off, that off our plate last week, so... Welcome aboard, Ollie. Uh, Daggy M's, I 
was drunk at this game and I really didn't go back and watch it. Well, I gave Chad the three. I thought he got him around and got him into position and a lot of their points came yeah. on the back of his kicking game um, and field position when, you know, he camped them in corners. I gave Ruben Cotter the two points and then I had either one of three out of Robson, Tuolagi or Clemmer for the one point. Give it to Robson. Yep. Yeah. 42-6, the Dragons took a... Well, Dragons got beat by the Storm, essentially. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, but it did take a while to get going. And, yeah, uh, majority of the first half. The wet yeah. sail came up on stats and then your thoughts. Yeah, seven tries to one. Six out of seven conversions played one out of one for the Dragons and one out of two penalty attempts for the Storm. 88% completion played 73%. 39 out of 44 sets played 22 out of 30. 800-plus running metres and 290-plus post-contact metres for the Storm. 11 line breaks to two. 50 tackle busts to 21. 19 offloads to eight. Two force dropouts to zero, no 40 20s. 262 tackles played, 308. Two ruck infringements against the Dragons, one inside the 10 against Melbourne. Eight penalties conceded to 11, six errors to 11. Grant made 38 tackles, Jack DeBellin made 35, Munster with 183 running metres, Sully with 158. Hughes missed three tackles, made 15. Wishart missed three tackles, made 14. Bird missed 10 tackles, made 27. Hunt missed nine tackles and made 10. And Moses Zembai missed four tackles, and I think all four of them led to tries and made seven <laughs> tackles. Supercoach points, Harry Grant with 138 supercoach points, Munster with 130, plus four other players for the Storm before you get down to Jack DeBellin on 72 points. They just they just do it again, man. Week after week, I don't think there was one spot on the field that the Dragons matched uh, the Storm. Maybe Locke, DeBellin had a decent game, but they, they, they just... Storm just beat them in every position on the field. The Dragons did fight hard for the majority of the first half and probably five minutes into the second half, but it was Munster and Grant in this game and they just started running at the line again. Um, and they got into the line or behind the line and then after they did that, they started passing the ball to other people that had nobody standing in front of them or they kicked it with absolute precision and just had someone flying through on the outside to pick it up and score tries. It was ridiculous. Munster did all the hard lifting, I thought. I know Grant ended up with some more super coach points, but Munster, when the game was on the line, he was the one that was creating all the opportunities, getting in and around and causing massive headaches for the Dragons. Um, and, yeah, after they, they scored, what was it, their third try about... 10 minutes into the second half, it was just all over. The Dragons knew that they were no longer in this game and they got absolutely walked over. Amon had a nice little touch there for the Jack DeBellin try. I think he bumped around and bumped off two or three people and nice little short ball for Jack DeBellin to score his try. But yeah, the Dragons just broke apart. And as soon as that happened, Munster got him well in front. And then Grant just started taking the piss and throwing little short balls to massive forwards who just ran over the top of people and put the <laughs> put the football down from five metres out. I think he's set up four tries and they were all basically take one step, pass it to the biggest bloke on the field and he runs over the top of someone. So, yeah. <laughs> what do you say? St. George, we're okay. Um, their centres were decent. Jack DeBellin was their best player. But um, the forward pack for this one out of the Storm, this I think this was the first game where I've actually noticed, like the Storm just sort of only do what they have to do in the forwards, but the, they made a point in this game of absolutely destroying this forward pack yeah. because they knew they were a million times better than the forward pack they were up against. 
And the majority of that forward pack was really good. Even their bench was pretty strong. Um, Pappenhausen was fantastic until he blew both his legs apart. Uh, it's going to be a bit of a loss for him, but I'm sure Meany will enjoy running off the back of Munster and Jerome Hughes for the next month or six weeks. Um, yeah, and as I already mentioned, I thought Munster was um, realistically the bloke who took the game by the scruff of the neck when it needed to happen, and then Grant jumped on the back of it and just they, they just had a party for that last 30 minutes of the game and set up tries at will. I love a Melbourne Storm party too. Jeez, they're fun. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a bit of homo. Bit of, well, I wasn't even what? saying that, but no, I've, uh, no, never. But I'm sure they're much. There's a lot of fun, Ollie. One player, and I've I've brought him up before that I want to bring up, other than um, uh, the standard plays he'd bring up for Melbourne, and it's part of what Barney was talking about with the Ford Pack. Is once again Josh King has just been a revelation this Isn't year. He? Yeah, like it, so it was, I think it was the first uh, the Matty Johns face to face he did with Craig Bellamy, where Bellamy was like, "I'm really excited about Josh King. Like he did well in the preseason. He's going to be a great player for us." I sort of thought about it as well. Yeah, he's going to be good in that Melbourne Storm system. He was sort of a little bit hit and miss for Newcastle, but he's actually I wouldn't say he's the standout. But in terms of the, the forward pack, he's actually stood out a bit. He's for probably Melbourne. been their best forward best. this year. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, like consistently, if not equally. Um, and, and that was on full display in this game. But I agree as well. The rest of the forward pack also stood up. Um, which it's good to like a team like Melbourne. Aren't you blessed because week in week out, you know your spine's gonna pretty much run you home against most yeah, teams. teams but, yeah. but but that can give you your four pack a bit of a rest where once every three to four weeks, they can put on an absolute monster performance like they did in this one and really, really complement the spine and, and just take a bit of a load off them as well. Nick Meany, I thought, has been getting better and better um, the more he's been playing for Melbourne. I, I'd say this is one of, if not his best game, in a Melbourne Storm jersey, and it set him up perfectly for what – realistically he was brought to the club to do be that Nico Hines if Ryan Pappenhausen was to get injured now he's getting his chance he's done a world of good on the wing so far let's see how he does um, in the coming weeks at fullback for Melbourne I can't see him doing too badly based off of his time playing at fullback for the Bulldogs but yeah the, the big emphasis for me for Melbourne was how much the forward pack stood up and weren't as reliant on that superstar spine who for the next probably three to four weeks again will be the standouts, but it's just every now and then that forward pack, and they're never horrible. They're always good, but that forward pack's going to stand out, and that that's going to be the the emphasis of the game for the Melbourne Storm, and it certainly was here. Yeah, they only seem to do what they have to unless they're challenged, and then when when the challenge comes up, they just <laughs> destroy most other forward packs. So. Oops, yeah, sorry, turn my sound back on. Yep, it's on you, mate. Uh, Get yeah, it's me. No, I, what do you want me to say? Yes, Melbourne are good at footy. Like, yeah, you've now did the, the one one of the few games I watched in depth. Um, you've covered off. <laughs> so cool. Let's get to the Sharks. So Monster well, with three, Grant with two, and then either Pappenhausen or I probably Nelson. I think for the one Nelson was so. great. Nelson's been good last. Like I know it's we know who he is, but he's playing big minutes now and he's playing playing them well. So yeah, could give him a wrap. Or bigger minutes, I should say, than the, you know. Munster Grant, Nelson, and Sir Solomon for the one. Mm-hmm. And, and um, I could easily have just given it to Pappy anyway, but the one. But, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm fine with that. Sharks 29, New Zealand at 10, uh, who at one stage was playing 11 on 13 and still conceding points. So, 
Two on overlap as well. Tell, <laughs> tell us stats and then, um, and then you get beaten on an overlap on the outside edge of your defense. Uh, we had five tries to two, four out of five conversions played one out of two and one out of one field goal attempts for the Sharks. 88% completion played 84%. 37 out of 42 sets played 28 out of 33. 550 running meters and 248 plus post-contact meters for the Sharks. Six line breaks to two, 45 tackle busts to 18, 19 offloads to six, five force dropouts to one, zero 40-20s, two ruck infringements from both teams, one inside the 10 against the Warriors, seven penalties conceded to six, five errors to nine, a send-off and a sin bin for the Sharks. McGuinness made 39 tackles, Egan with 52, Talakai with 193 running metres and Lodge with 144. Supercoach points, Nico Hines with 185, Wilton with 102. Four other Sharks players before you get down to Jazz Tavanga on 58 for the Warriors. Moylan missed five tackles, made 13. Johnson missed six tackles and made 25. And then three other players for the Warriors missed five and two other players missed four. What do you say? It's a huge effort to go, what was it, one man down after 13 minutes or something yeah, like that? Seven, they played... Yeah. 57, 60 minutes with one player short and another 10 minutes there when Ramian decided he was going to shoulder somebody in the face. Um, Sharks really put themselves in a position where they should have lost this game. It helps that the Warriors were horrible. Um, As I mentioned at the start of the show, I think Sean Johnson really has to decide whether or not he wants to keep playing football because he he looked completely uninterested in this game. There was times where the Warriors were in good field position and he was getting balls out in front of him. And he, there was one time he didn't even try to catch the thing. He just let it go past him and roll out past him. Another one where he dropped it. Whenever he got the ball, he just seemed to shovel it on to give it to somebody else because yeah, he, he did not look to give a single fuck in this game. Um, Reese Walsh tried really hard. Uh, it, was, it was a nice little piece of possession there where... I think he scored or he might have set up a try back through the middle through about halfway out, but he can only do so, so much. There was not, you know, a couple of their forwards had a go, but on the back of their forwards going absolutely nowhere, um, it's, there's nothing that the outside backs can do when you're getting beaten up in the forwards. Aiken, again, tried his ass off, played quite well. Katoa and Egan were good. Egan is just a tackling machine these days. I'd like to see Probably like to see him get a 20-minute break during the game, honestly. Uh, bring his tackles down to 30 and see if he can actually spark something out of dummy half for him because there's not a lot going on there. Um, Egan and Tavanga were their best two players. But they're, they're looking more and more disinterested at the moment to me. They just look like they've had enough. They just want to go home and they're, they're not interested in playing football at the moment. Uh, week to week, they seem to be getting worse and worse. Uh, the Sharks bench didn't add a lot but they had limited minutes i think that was down to the rotation obviously you you, you can't give your bench too many minutes when um you've yeah, missed some players yeah. that are on, yeah, on the sideline rudolph i thought was pretty disappointing i think it was his worst game of the season but um dale finnegan and cameron mcginnis defense in the middle of this uh, middle of their defensive line was fantastic in this game and it saved a lot of times when warriors seem to be getting a roll on either mcginnis or um Fanukan just put a shot on, put the bloke on his back, got a slow play of the ball and just slowed the game back down to the way that the Sharks needed to play because they were a player short. Um, Ramian, seemed, every time he had the ball, he seemed to be causing problems out in that outside edge. Um, 
as I said, with the ball, without the ball, he, <laughs> he's hitting people in the head. But mm. but again, it was just it was a masterclass from Nico Hines. Like I know he's grown up playing halves, but that was one of the better displays I've seen from a controlling halfback. I think he, all of the five force dropouts that they got was all in a clump of about thirty minutes there, where he just kept rolling it into the into the end goal, getting the repeat set, wasting time, slowing play down just getting the ball back and not having to make as many tackles as like the Sharks probably should have had to have made an extra hundred tackles in this game. If the Warriors were on their game and, um, you know, playing field position and position and all the rest of it, but they didn't do it. And Nico did. He, when, when they were on their back foot, he kicked long, pinned them down in their corners when they were on the attack. If they didn't look like they were going to score, he just rolled it into the end goal and got the ball back. So he just set up their win. He slowed the play right down, especially just either side of half time. And it made a massive difference for the Sharks and put them in a position to win this game. And they won it easily, realistically, and they didn't have the right to win it easily. No. Um, you've, yeah, you've covered off key points for Nico and the main one for Cam McGuinness, but just his, I mentioned before, his leg speed in attack, it's, I don't know how we've not really noticed it. good acceleration, not doesn't really it? really noticed it to this really year, quick. but I think it was 670 post-contact metres as well. He just, he, when he gets tackled, he just drives through the line. He, um... Yeah, he just um, adds adds so much all across, or in both facets. Um, yeah, he's covered off Fanuk in the middle as well. And uh, Teague Wilton was, was decent as well in attack. Um, but I'm not, yeah, going I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying anything we don't really know. Um, Ollie, as I try and think of anything more to add. Well, I'm the same as you, Daggy. I think Bar- Barney sort of covered off the main points, especially with Nico, of course. So just in general, I see the Warriors as a side who are going to drop down the ladder very quickly. I actually had to check today uh, doing my previews for the week that the Warriors are actually ninth, I believe it is. So they're going to drop down the ladder very quickly uh, based off of what we've seen um, from them. And I think them and Canberra are keeping this bottom four race quite interesting because I think the bottom four plus Canberra and the Warriors have no chance of making the top eight, despite the Warriors currently being ninth. I just think they're a really poor football side. And Anfinua Blake in particular, I think his impact... Well, Lord just put him to shame the last couple of weeks. Yeah. He last year was consistently their best player. Now, when Curran's been there, he's been their best. Or even Reese Walsh, I want to bring him up again. He's not been amazing or anything, but in that Warriors side has consistently been a standout. And he shouldn't be because I, I, I don't think he has been as good as last year overall. He's not been horrible or anything, but he has been one of the Warriors' better players this year. And there, there really aren't many players. If they win, and let's be honest, they will win a couple more games this year, right? It's going to be off of individual efforts, I feel. And that's what the Warri- That's how you can sum up the Warriors as a team that, that they're based off of individual efforts and they don't seem like a cohesive football side. No, absolutely. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. And just on Nico, he set up two tries, five tackle busts, two line break assists, five offloads and a field goal with a team that's fantastic. Hines with three points. I had Wilton with the two and then I gave McGuinness the one. Yeah, I'm fine with that. I would have maybe flipped him, but I like it's you're splitting hairs there, so leave it that way. So, beauty. Uh, We get to... The, that's it for the reviews. That's it for the reviews. So we get to the um the Braith. And we'll go right. to the Braith first. And I, I don't really have one this week, so I'm just going to give it to the bunker. They're getting paid for a job they don't know how to do. 
So, hey, there it is. Yeah, I did. I haven't even done this, to be honest. I'm going to have to make this one up. You got anything else? Yeah, I actually want to brace whoever set up um, the network service at Panther Stadium because for as long as I can remember, you, you know, before the game and after the game, I like to have a bit of a, a discussion in the chat. And after the game, I like to get my full-time post up. But the, the service is literally that bad. I can't even get onto my phone to message anyone. It is horrendous. Now, yeah, right. it, you, you might be saying, well, that's because a lot of people are on their devices, whatever, and they are. No, but I've been, to, I've been to ANZ Stadium. I've been to Bankwest Stadium. I've been to these stadiums where the service isn't great, but you can at least actually do stuff. I know this send a message. Personal, <laughs> yeah, so you can actually send a message to someone. I know this is like a, a petty thing, whatever, but it's literally the main thing I've thought of, like, if all they and it's going to improve when the new stadium goes up, surely. But like it, it's currently still in the Stone Ages, to be honest. Like the the, ser, the service you seem to get, and it's not just me; it's the people I sit with. So I take it as for the rest of the stadium as well. It's like you're being cut off for the rest from the rest of society when you go to the game, to be honest, because you can't even send a, a text message or anything like that, let alone do anything else. So you know, build what? a telecommunication yeah. tower in the middle of Penrith Stadium. God yeah, do it in the middle of the field. Penrith will still. <laughs> That won't be a a concern to them. But, yeah, that's a a bit of an outside one this week, but it's something that that whoever put in the system just... I get get the stadium's 30 years old, but somewhere else used to be bad. It might have been the SFS used to be terrible. Uh, But nowadays, stadiums come with it. Like, I'm sure Bankwest has an issue, and and I'd be very surprised if if the MCG doesn't, you know, those sort of buildings, so... Well, I'm going to give the brace to um, Cody Walker. Yeah. From a bloke who was, yeah, Delhi M 5-8 of the year last year. He's gone so far backwards this year, it's not funny. He's getting outplayed by a, um, a 20-year-old halfback who's making him look quite poor and in the same team, in my opinion. So, yeah, Cody Walker for me was the brace this week. You got a, sl- got a slap for us, Barn? It just has to be Newcastle, doesn't it? <laughs> like the, the the fact that I saw, I think it was at least two, possibly three tries where the bloke, all he had to do was run next to one player and there wasn't another player within five to ten metres trying to attempt to make a tackle. Their defence is deplorable at the moment and they're just giving up on games. Well, I'll double down and slap the Warriors just because I don't think I have yet and they deserve it too. How do you get beaten... And as you said, scored on the outside of with 11 men. Um, it takes a special talent or lack of effort. So. <laughs> Absolutely, it does. You're going to give you a salute? No, no, do the slave. We'll do that. Again. Yeah, come yeah. on, at least slap away. I thought, I thought we were doing them. No. Should be the team that shall not be named? Or? No, well, I'm, mm. I'm pretty sure I've slapped them every week since. <laughs> so I'll go someone else. I was actually going to go with the Warriors, you bastard, but. <laughs> I'll go. I'll go with Jerome Luai this week, to be honest, because I think it's probably been his worst performance of the season. And with Nathan Cleary being in the side, and it's just that that pestering. You know, I I slapped Clint Gutherson for mouthing off to the Tigers players a, a few weeks ago when his team was losing. So I think it's only fair to slap um, Jerome Luai when he's been mouthing off as well, and his team went on to lose. Yeah, you can cop it a couple of times during the year, but when it's happening every second week, yeah, absolutely agree with that. I'm going to salute Nico. It's just fucking that performance was one of the better ones that I've seen out of controlling halfback for a long time. When in every position that they could have lost that game, and he made sure that they were in the right position on the field and they were playing at the right tempo to win that game. So, Ollie, 
I'm going to – well, I've got two salute. I've got a main salute and an honourable mention from elsewhere. But the main salute is going to be Josh King. I think I'm going to double down on him this week and just – it's now, it's not only one-off performances, it's consistently performing at a very high level now. And that's got to be indicative of that Melbourne Storm system playing in that four-pack and with Craig Bellamy. And it's another of many examples of a player's career being bettered by playing at Melbourne. And just an honourable mention from um, over in UK land, um, I saw the Huddersfield Giants have qualified for the Challenge Cup final over in the UK, which... Rugby league, the game itself, I'm not sure if you guys know this, but the game itself was actually invented in Huddersfield. They've not won um, a major trophy, which was the Challenge Cup, I believe, in over 60 years, I think it is. So it'd be a nice little rugby league historical story if the team that where rugby league itself was created were able to win a major trophy. So I'll be backing them later this month in the Challenge Cup final. Cool. I'm going to salute, I don't think we have yet, so I'm actually going to salute Cam Munster because uh, he had a shit season last year, let's be honest. He was pretty yeah, average, carried on like a pork chop. You know, had he's his, still better than a lot of players. Still but... was better than a lot of players, <laughs> but um, had his into the end standards. of last year, uh, came out and said he was going to fix it and try harder. He's come out, he's clearly fitter, he's faster, and he's clearly now the best 5'8 in the comp. And... Um, not that, you know, and as you said, he probably was a couple of years ago too. So he's got back to that, and uh, you've got to give the bloke full, full oh, mate, kudos for that. A, yeah, it takes a lot of effort and um, commitment to put yourself in that kind of position and actually come through with what you've said, yeah. No, 100%. Absolutely. So uh, that'll be our sal- that my salute there. It's been 40 and Frothy. Is the review show. Any Nothing else you want to touch on, boys? Uh, we'll get to it at the next one. Yep. Check out Rugby League merch <laughs> for their stuff. Find us on uh, social media across all platforms. Leave us a message. Subscribe, like, do all that good stuff, and we will talk to everyone very shortly. Catch you soon. Ooh.